I expect that every week. I'm just kidding. Thanks for that. Oh, good guys, so good to be with you. So thankful to be here. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those joining us online via the Facebook Live today. Thanks for joining the conversation uh, via the internet. But I want to just pause and take a moment, and I want to say welcome to our guests, the people that are here for the first time. Maybe you've been here for a couple weeks, and uh, each week I truly do think it's like, man, if I were a guest walking into a new church. Um, like, what is it that I would want to know? And so I've been thinking through that this week. Here's what I would tell you. If you're brand new to Trace, here's something I'd want you to know. We've worked really hard here uh, to create a safe place. And by no means have we had it figured out perfectly, but we've worked really hard here to create a safe place for you to come and, like, ask questions and to even voice doubts at times. Maybe you've never felt like that was a, a church was a safe place to do that, but to come and figure out what it means for you to follow Jesus. And so I just want you to know that we've worked really hard on that. The second thing, that I would want you to know is that we want this to be a place where you don't have to feel like you have to pretend. Because we say this a lot around here, there's no, there's no healing in hiding. And so we don't want you to come here and feel like you've got to pretend to be somebody that you're really not. And, and we know that won't happen like today or maybe even the next couple weeks. This may take several months, but at some point we hope that you can expose your current reality to somebody in this room, in this room or just part of this church. Because we feel like that actually will get you one step closer to Jesus, where you don't feel like you have to pretend anymore, and you come out of isolation, and you bring somebody into really what's going on in your life. We think that's a really important thing. So I just wanted to say that to you, if that's of any benefit. I hope it is. But we're working really hard to create a safe place for you to come and be a part of this, this uh, incredible place we call Trace. So with that being said, I think I can say that summer has officially started, right? Teachers in the room, all districts are out. Anybody? A couple? Yeah, so excited. I remember what it was like when I first got out of school, whether it's junior high, high school, and that last day of school, and just that moment of like stepping in to summer, and I'd come home, and I'd turn on my boom box, right? I just turned 39 this last week, so I'm aging myself here, but I had a boom box, and uh, yeah, I would come, and uh, Will Smith, summertime. Anybody else? Can I get some love up here, man? Just jamming that song over and over again, just embracing summertime. Here's why I say all that. We understand that uh, many of you, if not most of you, will have plans over the summer. And we, and we think that's awesome. We think you should. I got an eyelash. Give me a second here. Um, can you get that out? Right there? No, I'm just kidding. It is in there, though. Um, but we, uh, we know you're going to have plans. We know you're going to have vacations and uh, we think it's good, right? We want you to invest some time in your kids that maybe you don't get to throughout the school year and, and really do be intentional about that. But here's what we don't want you to do. We don't want you to lose sight of church. Uh, and that happens sometimes over the course of the summer. And we get you'll be gone some and we're not gonna be the church police, but we don't want you to lose sight of the church. And I'm just gonna take a moment here. Guys, I do believe that today we are creating way too many excuses of why we don't need to participate in church on a more regular basis. And so let me say something that I really do hope you take to heart. Uh, this was not my idea, right? I mean, the church wasn't my idea. It wasn't some, you know, famous Christian theologian's idea. This was God's idea. It was God's idea that we gather together. And not only did he want us to gather together, he wanted to do it. He wanted us to do it a lot more than one hour out of one day of the week. And so not only do we not want you just to find any excuse to not come and be a part of the gathering, but our hope is that you're finding reasons how you can participate more, whether getting in a neighboring group that meets throughout the week or maybe just serving, you know, coming and being a part of what God's doing here at Trace and Serving. So uh, that's just my plea to you. Don't lose sight of the importance of this gathering. This was God's idea. Now, with all that being said, uh, today we do kick off this series called One. Now, there was a couple 
things, specific things that we hope to accomplish in this series. And I want to just take a moment and unpack that for you. The first thing is that we wanted to take several books of the Bible, hand-picked books that we believe that by giving some context to these books, it will give you a broader and more specific understanding of the Christian faith. And so we're not going to be able to look at like the entire book. And so what we decided to do is to look at the first chapter of several different books of the Bible. And hopefully along the way that there'll be an intrigue that wells up inside of you that causes you to want to go and dig further yourself. Because I think you know this. I don't need to really remind you of this. But sometimes we rely on church and people in my position and pastors to give us, you know, the the meat from the scriptures and to teach from the scriptures. And that's kind of where we kind of draw the line as far as our scriptural study goes. And you know as well as I do, that's not going to be nearly enough time in the word of God to develop your faith the way that God wants you to develop your faith. And so uh, we want you to plug in and learn how to engage the Word of God yourself. We're going to talk a whole lot about that today and how to do that in a healthy way. The second thing that I hope this series accomplishes is that we teach you this principle. It's a principle I've been living by for a long time now, and it has truly caused some transformation in my life. And it's called the principle of one. It's something we use behind the scenes here at Trace all the time now. And really the gist of it is, is you might not be able to do everything, right? You might not be able to like fix your marriage overnight, but you could do one thing. You, you might not be able to get like exactly where you want to be in your faith in the next week, but you could do one thing and keep filling in the blanks of different things where, man, if you just took one step, one action step closer to whatever that is, it would create value within whatever that is. And so if you need a, an, a way to remember this idea, this principle of one, just take the acronym, right? I mean, so the acronym is POO. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to Trace. This is church. That just happened. Now, we don't ever use that acronym, just so you know, but you'll never forget it now, will you? You'll always remember uh, <laughs> the principle of one. So with that being said, today uh, we are going to kick off this series by looking at the book of Genesis. And let me back up really quick. We are going to take a principle of one at the end of each sermon out of the course of the series that will last to the end of July. But today we're going to look at the book of Genesis. That's how we're going to kick off our time together. But as I was you know, writing this sermon this week, and it was kind of taking shape, I felt that there's maybe something even more important that I need to do on the front end of this entire series that has to do with the context of this entire book. So again, we're going to give you some context to different books of the Bible, but man, I think it is really important that we actually have a context in which how we use this entire book right here. This This one just happens to be my grandfather's King James Version. I don't use this very often, but it has a sentimental purpose in my life. And so here's what I mean by that. Guys, this book can be used to cause hurt, but it can also be used to cause healing. This book can bring value into our life and helping us to understand the heart of God and who he is, but it can also lead us away from him if it's used in a way that it was never intended to be used. This book is really important. It can be dangerous in the wrong hands. And people, unfortunately, in my position, have used this in a way in the past that have caused people to leave the church unnecessarily. And we're going to talk about that today. And so let me just give you a few nuggets uh, about the Bible that I think you might find interesting. Number one, it is the most read book in the entire world. It has more printed copies than any other form of literature that we know of. Friends, it is not just one book, and sometimes you'll hear us refer to this as the text, right? Biblica is where we get the word Bible, and it really just means book or text. It's really not just one book, but 66 books, ancient manuscripts, 
that were put into one book written by approximately 40 authors over the course of around 1,500 years. Now, there's a timeline that I think would be incredibly beneficial for you to know, and I don't have a ton of time to do this, but again, I think this could just be a reminder for some of you, but for those of you that are new to the church, it could be very beneficial because you just don't have any understanding of kind of the timeline or how things have taken place and what all is entailed within this book. And so I want you to look at this timeline, and I'm going to go through this in just a moment. But again, this is going to have a lot of gaps in it, but for those of you that are new to the church, um, there's a timeline in here, and all of it points back to Jesus. And what's happened over the course of the centuries is we get caught up in a particular story, a particular concept, um, a, a story that has ca- caused division even among Christians, and we get stuck there. And that can become very dangerous for those of us that want to make sure that this is always going to be about Jesus, because somewhere along the way of getting stuck in particular stories in the Bible, we actually lose sight of Jesus. Now, I'm going to put more flesh on that as we dive into the book of Genesis today, but let me spend some time on this timeline really quick. Now, I'm going to do this fast, but again, for those of you that are new, uh, here's where we'll start. We start with the Adam and Eve story, right? The fall into sin, and the fall means when sin first entered the equation, when Eve took the forbidden fruit, and can we just make note, that was a woman who made the first mistake. Just saying, guys, the Bible, I'm... It's the Bible. Don't, don't look at me. Okay, I shouldn't have gone there. Let's move on really quick. Um, and then we have Noah's Ark, right? When God saw that there was so much corruption in the world that he had them build this big cruise ship and kind of took a selective group of people, threw them on there with some animals and said, hey, go hang out in, at the sea for a little while uh, until everybody else is destroyed and then I'll let, allow you to get back to land. And then we get to these four characters. Now, if you've ever heard of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, those specifically are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I think there's really four key characters, and so I like the fact that this diagram had added Joseph. And so uh, out of Jacob, he had 12 sons. If you've ever heard the terminology, the 12 tribes of Israel, those come from the 12 sons of Jacob. Again, I'm going to have to move fast. And so from there, we see that Joseph... uh, invited the people because there was a great famine. He became a ruler of the Egyptian people, and so he invited his family along with all the other Israelites to come to get through this famine that was horrible. But then after Joseph died, there was a Pharaoh that took place or that came into place, and he began to rule over the Israelites as they went into slavery. And then Moses shows up, and he he leads them out of slavery. Hopefully you've heard that story. And again, I know I'm going fast. Uh, and then leads them into the desert, and then ends up going up to Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments and brings them down. Then we have this era of kings and kingdoms. And we have the first king, which is Saul, and then David, as David and Goliath, and Solomon, the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs. And then we have all kinds of prophets that talk about the, the coming Messiah. And all of this takes place in what's called the Old Testament, but also known as the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was given through Abraham as a promise that he was going to send the Messiah and bless all people, but he was going to send the Messiah through this bloodline. And that's why this is so important. All of this, even though people get caught up in different stories in the Old Testament, all of this from the very beginning was pointing to Jesus. And then we get to this era of time where there's 400 years of silence, where there's no prophetic teachings or no prophets speaking up, saying anything. And we get to this era of silence that leads us to the birth of Jesus where we get our gospel, four four gospels where we have written accounts of who Jesus was. And then uh, we get to the time when Jesus gives up his very own life for your behalf and my behalf and is crucified 
And then three days later, he's resurrected. And after the resurrection, we hear about this day of Pentecost where the Spirit of God comes down and, and lives inside of the people. Where before, the temple was a building where we worshiped, where the Israelites worshiped. But when the Spirit of God came, for all of those that would believe in Jesus, our bodies become the temple for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said before he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you my Spirit to live among you, to live with you, to guide you in the ways that I'm wanting you to go. And so, and then we get to Peter and Paul, and we have different letters that were written from these guys. And Peter and Paul specifically, kind of the two key guys that gets, they, they get the church started. They go out and they start to tell people about the good news. It's where we get the word gospel. It's called the good news of Jesus. And they're spreading the word, and that leads us to Judgment Day, which we're not there yet, but we're going to look at the book of Revelation at the end of July to kind of conclude this series. So, all of that is church history in a nutshell. Let me catch my breath. So that's it. Uh, now, this is important for our conversation today because we're going to go back into the Old Covenant. We're going to look at the book of Genesis. But one of the things I need to remind you, especially if you're new to the church, we don't live underneath the Old Covenant. As followers of Jesus today, we live, make sure you don't miss this because there's a nuance here. We believe this is the inspired word of God, which includes both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So all of this is beneficial, but we don't live underneath the old covenant. We don't live underneath the covenant that was given to Abraham because that ended with Jesus. But what we do sometimes is we take people, oftentimes people that don't have a broader scope and context for all of this, we take them back to the old covenant, making them feel as if they have to believe or agree with everything that they read before they get to Jesus. And that can get dangerous. Now, stay with me, because all of this is going to kind of, we'll start to put flesh on this throughout our time this morning, which leads me to our one thing for today. Friends, if you get stuck on the minor things, you will miss the main thing. And if you miss the main thing, you could mess up everything. Let me say that one more time. If you get stuck on the minor things, you will miss the main thing. And if you miss the main thing, it could mess up everything. Now, some of you guys got some question marks in your mind right now, and you should. And my hope is that I can bring some context and answers to the, those question marks. Let me begin with some context of Genesis before we dive into verse 1. The Genesis was written by Moses, who we just got to read about. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. Now, these were really incredibly important books for the Jewish people, the Israelite people. And oftentimes, these guys would have memorize these first five books. They were so important. And so he wrote Genesis. He wrote uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now we see Moses actually die at the end of Deuteronomy, so I don't think he died and then finished the book of Deuteronomy. Somebody else probably did that. Uh, this book was written about 2,500 years after the time of Adam. So when, what I mean by that is Moses arrived on scene about 2,500 years after we read about Adam. And so just some historical context for you. So with all that being said, let's pick up in verse 1, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now right after this, we get to read about this six-day creation story, where on the first day, God created this, on the second day, God created this, and after each of these creations, he said it was good. And we get to read about how God created the heavens and the earth, but right out of the bat, the very first verse of all the Bible, we have conflict. 
because not everybody believes that, do they? Not everybody believes there's actually even heavens that exist out there. But really, we don't even have to read the entire first verse to get to some conflict and controversy. Let's back up to the first five words out of that verse. In the beginning, God created. Now, you know as well as I do, you have friends that don't believe that God is the actual creator, that there was some kind of big bang in the past or whatever philosophy that they follow or you know, evolutionary process of man. And, and so right there, there's still tons of tension. The first five words, but we don't even need the first five words. We can just start with the first three words. In the beginning. How, uh, how many of you, at some point in junior high school, high school, you had some kind of professor or teacher that taught you that the world was millions or billions of years old. Just give me some crowd participation. Anybody have one of those classes? Yeah, almost all of you. For those of us that grew up in the church, how many of you went to a Sunday school or some type of church or Christian setting where you were taught that the world was only thousands of years old? Just raise your hand. Okay, most of you. What do we do with that? Like the first three words from the scriptures. Automatically, we have this internal dilemma where modern-day science is telling us <laughs> there's no way the earth is only 6,000 years old, which is about how old it would be if the six-day creation story was six literal 24-hour days. But then we, over here, we have the scientific community tells us, no, 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 there's no way that's possible. The earth is millions or billions of years old. What do we, what do, we do with that? As I was thinking through our time together this morning, I could easily just dive in and go further into the book of Genesis, but if I'm truly wanting to add value to our faith and our life and helping us to navigate through some of these problems, I feel like we need to rest right here. And here's what I mean by that. I want to I spend the rest of our time together talking to you about the dangers of being overly dogmatic or overly dismissive of God's Word. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with that kind of terminology, dogmatic uh, is a word that's often used in ministry to talk about when we take a position and we feel so strongly about that position that we almost become arrogant in our position and stance and where we, want, we almost want to use our intellect to just prove a point. I call this point-proving theology. And in the process of doing that, I've seen so many Christians actually lose sight of Jesus in the process of trying to prove a point about something in the Bible. And so that we call this dogmatism or being dogmatic. And there's danger in that. But there's also danger in just dismissing where it's like, man, the earth can't possibly just be thousands of years old. And so now you just dismiss that. And so that kind of creates within you this, this mindset and this idea that whenever you get to something in the scriptures that are difficult to understand, you just dismiss it. That's dangerous. And so I want to look at both sides of this equation. And my hope is that through this process, that it will create a healthier guideline and framework for you to interact with this book. And I want to do so by using the creation story. Because, friends, we don't ever want to dismiss anything in this book. But we also don't want to send people outside of the church because we've decided to make a minor thing a main thing. And by making it a main thing, we mess up everything. So here's where I'll start. I grew up in a very conservative area. If there's a Bible belt... Uh, we were the buckle. I mean, that's how conservative of an area that I grew up in. Anybody else be proud of it? Anybody else grew up in the Bible Belt? Yeah, let's see. All right, a couple of you. You didn't look very proud, I'll be honest with you. But yeah. yeah, I grew up in central Kentucky in just a very conservative area. I also grew up in a very conservative traditional church. 
and I remember talking a whole lot about creation. And like many of you, grew up in like Sunday school type settings where I was taught the earth was thousands of years old. And so not only was I taught that, but sometimes the language would get pretty strong, pretty dogmatic. And what I mean by that is there were times where I heard that, Aaron, if you don't believe in a six-day, 24-hour literal creation story, you actually can't believe in the rest of the Bible. And if you can't believe in the rest of the Bible, there's not a way for you to be a Christian. There's incredible danger in that type of language. And one of the things that I want to do today is I want to talk about what happens when we make minor things main things. Because for a lot of people, that's why they left the church. I've got friends, I've got family members, I've got people that I've worked with in the past that had things like that said to them and because they couldn't navigate through that, they got to a point where it's like, well, if that's what I have to believe in order to be a Christian, man, I'm not sure I'm in. In other words, if you're going to make a minor thing a main thing, that messes up everything for me. Let me tell you why you shouldn't take this approach to the Bible. And I'm going to do so by actually using the Bible. Let me go back to that timeline we had a few moments ago. The reason why this is an unhealthy approach to the Bible is because we don't ever see the early church do this. What we've done is we've created an unnecessary obstacle for people to have to go through before they get to Jesus. Now, some of you may be hearing this with the ear, especially if you're church people, and that's fine if you've been in the church for a long time, but you may be hearing this like, whoa, 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 Aaron, it sounds like you're dismissing Scripture. Not at all. Stay with me. Here's where I would go first. In the early church, we have the resurrection of Jesus. Right after the resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit falls. We talked about this in Pentecost. And then Peter and Paul take off to go tell people about the good news of Jesus. Now, one of the things that you will see Paul do is he'll go into the synagogues to teach the Israelites, the Jewish people, the people where this old covenant was all about. This, this was all about the Israelite people and the bloodline of Jesus getting to the point where he comes to earth, God's Son coming to us in the flesh. And so Peter would go, I'm sorry, Paul would go into the synagogues and he would use Old Testament scriptures to point the Jewish people to Jesus. But they also went to find people that weren't Jewish people. We, they called them Gentiles, but then Gentile just means that they were non-Jewish. And the thing that you will not see, pay attention, please. The thing that you will not see is Peter or Paul taking Gentiles, not Jewish people, but Gentiles, to Old Covenant Scriptures to believe in those before they can get to Jesus. What they did is they took them to the resurrection, period. They, we see over and over and over again in the early church, what they would do is they would take these Gentile believers, and a lot of times this was still in a time frame where there was tons of eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus, and they would point to that specifically about this idea that there could be new life and that they could receive grace no matter how many times they had messed up in their life. But what we never see is them take Gentile believers to Old Testament scriptures and say, whoa, 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 no, no. You have to be, believe in a six-day literal creation story before you can be a follower of Jesus. You, you have to believe that God really sent a cruise ship to get a few people on a boat with some animals. Because if you don't believe that, you've got you to believe that uh, a big whale or a big fish swallowed up a guy and spit him out on land. And if you don't believe that, like you can't get to Jesus. Now, let me be clear. I believe in all that. But I have a much broader scope of the Christian faith now after years and years of study. And so what I think should happen is that we start with the resurrection. 
Because when we make minor things, major things, for others, we can mess up everything. And we do not see this happen in the early church. But what should happen, and what if you read further in church history, and I love church history, what often happened is as these Gentile believers came to faith in Jesus and they started to live out what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, then they would go back to the Old Testament scriptures and study specifically the prophecies about the Messiah and the broader picture of the story of God would come to shape for them. So am I dismissing anything? Absolutely not. We will never, ever encourage you to dismiss anything in Scripture. But when you're overly dogmatic about a minor thing, making it a major thing, you can mess up everything for people that are trying to get to Jesus. And the reason why this is so important is because people are leaving the church in droves because we have made a minor thing a major thing. And after my last sermon, I had an older couple come up to me out in the lobby, and they just they were saying thank you for the sermon. And they said, we're going to have to go home, and we're going to have to call our kids, grown-up kids, who no longer are part of church because we made some minor things, some major things, and they left the church because of it. Friends, I hope you understand the significance of how important this conversation is. Is it dismissing anything in the Bible? Absolutely not. It's starting with the right starting point. Don't make a minor thing a major thing, because if you do, you can mess up everything. Now, the other side of this equation would be overly dismissive, and I really even shouldn't use the word overly because we don't need to dismiss scripture at all. And so one of the things that's possible in this approach of scripture where it's like, you know what, I can't believe in a six-day literal creation story. Like, that's impossible. And so because I think that's impossible, man, there's no way that God just like like wiped out the whole earth and, and put a, just a few people on a big boat. There's no way that a, a whale swallowed a human being or and spit them out on land. And again, my defense would be Look what God, like walk outside and look what God has created. If he wanted a whale to swallow a guy for a few hours, he could do that. Like, I don't think that's hard for God. I really don't. But I don't make that, like, if somebody wants to sit down and debate that, I'm like, and, and again, I don't know how this sounds coming from me, but I really don't care. Like, I really don't. And if you wanted to know my position, for whatever it's worth, on the creation story, um, I'm probably more of an old earth guy. And if you don't understand what I mean by that, there's kind of two philosophies within Christianity, an old earth concept, a young earth concept. I'd probably lean more towards the old earth. And I get it. Some of you in here that have been church for a long time, you're like, well, what do you do with death and the fall and the sin? <clears throat> Excuse me. I could give you some answers to that, but you really, like, I, just, I just don't care. I just don't care. So if you wanted to sit down and debate that with me, I'll tell you why. But here's what I think Jesus often does. I think Jesus watches us, especially those that are followers of him and He's like, man, you guys are putting a ton of energy and a bunch of time. And, man, you're getting emotional and you're passionate about how old the earth is. I wish you'd give me a portion of that. I wish you'd put just maybe half of that into what it means to be a disciple of mine into discipling your own kids. Because, guys, that's what happens. We get so caught up on these minor things, and then we get this kind of arrogant position where we want to prove our point and show you why this is the way that it is. Now, I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't have solid doctrine and theology, especially on who Jesus is. I'm simply saying, and I'm going to keep saying it, don't make a minor thing a major thing. Because if you do, you can mess up everything. And I'm watching people leave the church because of it. Sometimes people will point back to things like the creation story, and they'll say, oh, it's just a myth. Now, I would never say that it was a myth, 
I would say it's more poetic, maybe more literary than it is literal. That's my position. Uh, if you disagree with me on that, hopefully that doesn't cause disunity between us. I have a lot of friends that are young earth Christians and friends that are old earth Christians, and um, I hope that that wouldn't cause division in like our relationship and you wanting to be a part of a church because, again, without dismissing anything in Scripture, I would say that's a minor thing of whether the earth is thousands of years old versus billions of years old. But there's some danger in pointing to things like the creation story and just saying, oh, that's just, that's just a myth. Because if we were to do that, I think that there's also the possibility of missing the Messiah. It's possible that by just dismissing something, you're also dismissing Jesus himself. And here's what I mean by that, because Jesus himself refers to the creation story. Don't miss this. In chapter 19, Jesus says this. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. I'm sure you've heard that in a wedding before, but Jesus is quoting from um, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so we got to be really careful just because we are struggling with believing the way that something is unfolded in scriptures that we quickly dismiss it or point to the possibility that it's just a myth. Because I don't believe there's anything in this that's a myth. I believe there's sometimes where there's something more literal uh, versus literary and sometimes more literary than literal. But we never should dismiss anything in this book. Jesus is quoted a little bit differently in Mark chapter 10, but saying the same thing. He says, but from the beginning of what? Jesus is referring to the creation story. Jesus is referring to what we're reading in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, specifically how God made man in his own image. Friends, there's danger in being both overly dogmatic and or being dismissive of anything in God's word. And let me tell you two, and I'm being redundant for a reason. Let me tell you two specific reasons why this is so important to me. Number one, not enough people engage with this book anymore. And so sometimes it's because they get stuck. They read something they have a hard time reconciling with what they believe or what they've heard from science, and they get stuck. And friends, anytime that that's the case, if reading the creation story, or maybe it's the story about Noah and the ark, if, if you're getting stuck there, just remember, I'll take you back to the New Testament church, they didn't get stuck on those subjects in the early church. They focused on the resurrection. I'm not telling you to, to dismiss them, but it's okay to shelf them. It's okay to shelf them and keep moving forward with developing your faith in Jesus. And as you get a broader understanding of this book, some of those stories may come to life in a new way. And so I want to see more people engaging in the Word of God, because fewer and fewer people just seem to be engaging with this book. We believe it's the inspired Word of God, and it can bring incredible value to your life. The second reason why this conversation is so important to me is because I'm tired of watching people in my position, and sometimes in your position, making a minor thing a major thing and causing people to walk out the doors of the church. And it's happening on a weekly basis, it seems like. And so I want to encourage you, if that is you, maybe you're causing part of that problem. Just kind of do a self-reflection, do a spirit check. Are you allowing minor things to become major things? And sometimes it's just so you can brag about your own intellect, and you just need to be honest about that, that that's a pride check for you. So here's what I want to do. I want to close by talking to three different groups of people. 
I want to talk to the people in this room that are searching. You still got a lot of questions. You're not sure. Like a lot of this stuff is new to you. And then I want to talk to the skeptics in the room. And I also want to talk to the saints. And the saints is just another way that the New Testament describes followers of Jesus. And so let me begin by talking to those of you that are searching. If you were to sit down with me and I were to encourage you to engage with the Word of God, I wouldn't tell you to start with Genesis. I'm not that guy, and I never will be, that says, man, just sit down and start in Genesis and read the Bible through in a whole year and then come back and ask any questions you have. You will not make it through Leviticus. I I guarantee it. And so, but listen to me, because this is so important. Sometimes we have made our faith a performance. And this book has become something that we try to accomplish And I promise you, everything that I know about the heart of God says that this is not something God wants you to accomplish. Meaning, I'm going to sit down and, man, I'm going to start in Genesis, and here's my reading plan, and I'm going through, and I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. Now, if you feel specifically called, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so if you feel specifically called to read the Bible through in a year, you better do it. But sometimes we do this in a way that it's like an accomplishment for, like, our Bible belt. You see what I did there? Bible belt, just... Anybody? All right. Anyway, moving on. But guys, this is a book that can draw you into the presence of God. This is a book that will allow you to learn about the best love story ever written from the beginning of the very first three words. In the beginning, it was about Jesus. And it was about you. He had you in mind when he sent us this book. And so I would be more likely to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and I want you to read the Gospel of John because we're going to start with the resurrection. I want you to read the Gospel of John, and I would specifically point to the Gospel of John because in that particular Gospel, we see the alignment and the oneness between the Father and the Son more than any other Gospel. And I would tell you to start there, and then I'd say, man, then jump over to James. I mean, think about it. James was the brother of Jesus. What would you have had to do to convince your brother that you were the Messiah? Just think through that, right? That's not going to be an easy task. So the fact that James, the very brother of Jesus, wrote a book, that's a pretty big apologetic that Jesus was who he says he was. And I tell you, man, start in chapter 1. There's incredible theology in James chapter 1. And if you came back to me and you said, man, this is good. Like, there's so much in James chapter 1 that I just, I'm still trying to figure out. I would look at you and say, maybe read James chapter 1 for the rest of the month. Who cares about accomplishing, accomplishing a, a reading plan? If the, if the Spirit of God is convicting you through one particular chapter, drawing you into the presence of God, teaching you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, stay there as long as you need to. Friends, how you use this book will not only determine your own path and your own faith, but it will determine whether others join us. It really will. And our faith, and it was never supposed to be a performance. This was never supposed to be something that we accomplished, something that we put ourselves underneath the authority of, and we figure out who God is and how to remain in his presence. And that's not an easy task. And so I want you to engage with this book more. And so let me talk to those of you in here that are skeptics. If you became a skeptic because a Christian or a church along the way made a minor thing a main thing, man, please give Jesus one more chance. I want to talk to everybody that's watching online today as well. Please give Jesus one more chance. Because of what he accomplished on the cross, 
the fact that he walked away from the grave, and there were many eyewitness accounts of this. You can even read outside of uh, a biblical framework. You can read other historical documents that talk about the resurrection of Jesus because so many people saw him resurrected, and because of that, millions of lives have been transformed, and I just happen to be one of those lives. The resurrection is worth a second chance. So maybe for you, if you're a skeptic, start over. Begin with the resurrection. Maybe begin by reading the Gospel of John. And we have a reading plan here that we use, and it's called D1. And it kind of comes back to this principle of one. Man, just read one chapter a day. Out of that chapter, write down one verse, and then write out a thought that stood out to you um, because of that, whatever that verse said. And then just take a moment. God, is there anything that you're wanting to teach me? from when it comes to whatever whatever it is that you just read and then share that with one person this is such a simple concept but if you'll live this out you'll become a stronger disciple than you probably think you could be instead of just being a nominal christian friends engage with god's word and if you're a skeptic give jesus one more chance and begin with the resurrection because that's all they used in the first century church and for those of you that want to be reminded or maybe you never knew this, this book didn't even come into our hands until the 4th century. And so for the first around 300 years, all they had was the resurrection of Jesus. And if we look back in the last 2,000 years and look for the biggest explosive growth in church history, it was the first 140 years of the church's existence. And all they had was the resurrection. Am I saying that to dismiss this? No, because we don't have eyewitness accounts of the resurrection anymore unless we go to the inspired word of God that teaches us about those eyewitness accounts and what the church and what discipleship actually actually looks like. Let me end by talking to the saints in the room. If you're making it or have made it, un, let me say that differently. If you have made a minor thing, a major thing, and you've caused someone to walk away from the church, will you go back and apologize? Just like those parents told me out in the lobby between services. Maybe you need to apologize to your kids. Maybe you need to apologize to a friend because you made a minor thing a major thing. And just ask for forgiveness. And then maybe just do a spirit check. God, how can I, how can I reformulate what it looks like to be a follower of your son Jesus again without messing all this up? I'm going to remind you one more time, if you make a, mi a minor thing, a major thing, it's possible that you'll mess up everything. Let's pray. God, first of all, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us what it looks like, R really the bigger story, your love story that you've told that should always be pointing us back to Jesus. And God, we we misuse this. All of us are probably guilty of it at some point in time. Some of us dismiss it. Some of us have been overly dogmatic about something in this book. And so, God, I, I just pray that you help us to re-engage your word in a healthy way. But, God, we need your help. And some of this comes with understanding and with time. Some of this comes with asking the right questions. And some of this just needs to be a reminder that this is not about me proving a point. It's about me pointing to Jesus. That's what your word is for. So help us to engage this in a healthy way. And thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned before, one of the things that uh, we're going to do at the conclusion of each